0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals Evan Grant and David Moore. Here we are. It's a uh, it's a chilly day. I well, you know fairly
1: chilly here crisp. In, in North Dallas. Chris,
0: yeah, there you okay. go. A crisp day in North Dallas. Uh, I, I read a story in the in the paper today saying that well. This is probably about as cold as it's going to get over the next ten years. Uh, we're going to have these. We're going to have San Diego winners, and this we're day have, right
2: now is the coldest over the next ten years projected yeah, in the state of Texas. Exactly. So I don't know I'll, how I feel about that, but I guess yeah, I'll call you when
0: my pipes break. It. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're. You're, you're a, a denier, Evan. That's good. I always knew you were the climate denier.
2: I'm just concerned you ever, about your pipes. <laughs>
1: Kevin, let me let me once again educate you that just because we have global warming and climate uh, change does not mean we won't have extreme weathers on both ends.
0: No. No, we're not gonna have any more though. There's It's gonna be San Diego weather here every winter from now on. So I'm all for I'm all for all this fossil fuels we've been burning and destroying the the, the world as we know it. As long as it's gonna be nice here in the winters. That's all I care about.
1: In 2040, when you're trying to sell your house, it's going to look like the Gobi Desert up there.
0: (laughs) In 2040, I'll be dead. Terrible. All
1: right, well, let's get to sports because I've got some solar eclipse uh, brainstorming I need to do about the upcoming solar eclipse.
0: Yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm glad they're going to brainstorm about that. That's really good. That'll That'll be helpful. Uh, all right. So we we had the the Cowboys played uh Sunday against the Eagles. The Eagles did not play. The Cowboys did, but the uh the Eagles didn't. Uh, that was uh, an interesting game, David. Um, I, you know, I, I had felt for weeks like the Eagles were just kind of living on the edge a little bit. It just it felt a little bit like. Man, are they really this good? Or are they really just a little bit lucky? I, I certainly think they were in the in the sense of when the Cowboys played them uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, if if Dak didn't have such big feet, uh, the uh, Cowboys might have won that game. Uh, and and then what we saw Sunday was that yeah, the, the Eagles have some serious uh, issues on their defense, and their offense isn't playing so great either.
2: Well, yeah, I think you know that. To me, that was the question going into the game that when you when you look the week before and you saw the way San Francisco beat Philadelphia, which was very reminiscent of how San Francisco beat Dallas. Uh right. I mean again, this was like, you know, San Francisco was down in the first quarter, six-nothing, had minus six yards in offense against Philadelphia. And then rolled up more than 400 yards and threw 42 points on the on the Eagles. You know the thing is that game was such an aberration to what uh, Philadelphia had done over the course of the season. You went well, okay. Now how do they respond this week? And you could make a strong argument either way. And in my mind, when a when a strong veteran team that's had some success like Philadelphia. Reaches that crossroads, and you look at how they played leading up to it, and then that hit. There are going to be two responses: one, they just they they come back with a ferocity immediately to show this is not who we are. Uh, this was out of character for us. We're the team you saw in the first twelve weeks of the season, not this one. Or it breaks their confidence a little bit. And they start to question, well, maybe all these close wins we had are an indicator that we're not the team we were. Uh, is that there? And then it takes a little bit to, A little bit of time to rebuild. Uh, they certainly fell in that second category, right? Uh, offensively, did not score a touchdown against the Cowboys. Um, you know, I, I will say going in, I, I'm not surprised. I thought Dallas would win the game because – often at this time of year when teams are pretty equally uh, on the same competitive rung, which I believe Dallas and Philadelphia are, um, the team that needs it more is often the team that wins the game. And Dallas was in a position where if it did not win at home over the weekend against Philadelphia, while they would not have been mathematically eliminated from winning the division, it would have been a 1% chance – Then they're sitting there going, okay, the games we've lost this year were to San Francisco and Philadelphia twice, We're not in their company, and the rest of the season plays out differently. So there was a lot more at stake for Dallas in this game than Philadelphia, and and that motivation should not be overlooked. But after Dallas winning that game the way it did, uh, going back to that game in Philly and seeing how close it was, and you could actually argue – Dallas lost because of its own mistakes, one, defensively early, and two, offensively late. Now look at this. These two teams have the same record, Philadelphia and Dallas. Now look at the net points for the season. Dallas is plus 188. Philadelphia is plus 21. So I think that tells you that by most objective and subjective measures – Dallas is a better team than Philadelphia. Uh, now the there's still San Francisco looming out there. But uh, yeah, th- th- we said from the start that you know, either San Francisco, Dallas, or Philadelphia, whatever order you want to put them in, were the three best teams in the conference. And one of those three teams was going to emerge to uh, be to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. In my mind, nothing has changed. What we've seen this season just reinforces that. And I would continue to go with that order of things, San Francisco, Dallas, and Philadelphia at the moment. Yeah. To me, the thing about this that's changed
0: is that, uh, look, when they lost to – when the Cowboys lost to San Francisco, you know, I wrote a column – In week five, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about how – who would you rather have as your quarterback, Brock Purdy or Dak Prescott at that point? And, uh, and, and now Brock Purdy is still playing at an MVP level. He had a little swoon there in the middle of the season when they lost three games in a row – uh, but he's still being mentioned in those circles. But the, the difference for me is that how much better Dak is playing now and has been playing since then. Uh, he looked he looked old and slow and as bad as I've ever seen him look in the, in that game against the, the, the 49ers. And now he looks completely different. I, I don't understand what he's doing uh, but he looks uh, he, he does look faster. he looks like his old self. Frankly, when he gets out of the pocket now, it's not like he's pulling a wagon behind him anymore. He he can he can move. He can get where he wants to go. Uh, and so so they the Cowboys are improving, whereas Jalen Hurts, uh, I, I don't see him getting any better. And in that game, I thought there were several times at the end of the game when they're forced to play catch up. That's not what they're built to do. You know, no. they're 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 built to be a ball control, uh, defense first kind of team that uh, we're just gonna grind away on you that tush push is the very heart of who they are. And and while you know, that was working and it, it was obviously wildly effective for them, it felt a little bit like, are we watching college football from the 50s here? This is this is what it kind of looked like to me. It's it like an old Nebraska film. We're gonna beat everybody 21 to 17 and uh, and, and and if we get behind we're going to be in trouble, but we're not getting behind. We're just going to we're going to control the ball. We're going to play defense. Well, they can't do that anymore. And at, in the course of that game, when Jalen Hurts was getting a little pressure and he was backpedaling and throwing at people's feet, it was not a good look for him.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, just clarify what you said, I, I agree. I, I do think this Philadelphia team, you know, when you look at how many times they've been down at the half this year, I think they are built to come behind if they're within a score or maybe 10 points down. They're not built to come from behind the way they were down against Dallas because they don't have that explosive element to their game. And and like you say, uh, they're just not built or accustomed to that. And that's what were we talking about in this Dallas offense early in the season? It was more efficient, but it wasn't explosive. And because it wasn't explosive – they were just putting themselves in too many binds and and having to thread the needle late because they were unable to take you know some opportunities early. Now you're seeing that now this Dallas offense is efficient and explosive. Uh, the defense is opportunistic, but also good enough against the run that you can't just run on them and take away the strength of the team, which is uh, you know turning the ball over. Uh, they've shown their secondary can hold up by and large and respond to the challenge, and th- their special teams. Um, even though, even though they went two and a half weeks before without punting, um, you know everything about the special teams is outstanding. You have a kicker who hasn't missed all year, so that's a weapon as well. So you look at all three phases. This is as complete of a Cowboys team in all three phases. Uh, as we've seen here in a long, long time. And they're in the conversation, legitimate conversation, not saying they will, but they're in the championship conversation for this year. The issue they face is, as of this moment, if them and Philadelphia both went out, and I think that's an unlikely scenario for both teams. I know everyone starts looking at the final four to five weeks of the schedule every year They look at the good teams and they go, well, this team can win out across the board in both conferences, and they rarely ever do. There's at least one loss in that final month of the season that just confounds people about even the good team. So I think I would be shocked, frankly, if Dallas and Philadelphia both went out the rest of the way. But to play that scenario out for the argument, if that happens, Dallas, which at that point would have a league best 16-game home winning streak would be the number five seed as a wild card and play no home games in the postseason. That's significant. So you can be in the mix, but one of the strengths of this Dallas team is how they play at home, and now you suddenly remove that from the postseason calculation about how far they can advance, and that's a significant step. So there's still a lot of, in my mind, there's still a lot on the line for the Cowboys uh over these final 4 weeks of the regular season. What and and these final
1: 4 weeks are no are no uh they're no cakewalk, right? I mean the,
2: the not for the Cowboys, no.
1: For sure, the the Eagles have gone through a really difficult stretch. They with, just
2: finished their most difficult, yeah. Yeah,
1: with the Cowboys, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco and the Cowboys again. Um they've got I think the Giants twice, Arizona and and they play next Monday against Seattle. Seattle. So their, their schedule gets a little bit easier and the Cowboys have what Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and then, uh, finish with Washington, Washington to end it. So, yeah. you know, I, I think in some ways, like the schedule, um, allowed for Dak to really, after he said we need to get better and we will get better, it allowed for him to, um, apply that. And now and it's about really, whether he can sustain it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. It uh, he, he he they they've got a good start on this, and now their ability to sustain it will determine whether or not they end up with uh, with home field advantage,
2: which has always been the question with him and this Cowboys team. Can we really, if you're a fan, can I buy in yet? Because I've seen this before in the regular season. This team has a top four to five regular season record over the last two decades and one of the worst postseason records to show for that. Uh, that It doesn't match up when you look at other teams, and and, and that is why. That is why, and, and, the, and even now, look, I, I was getting emails during the game. Uh, the, the moment that Dak fumbled on that third, third down rollout and it was returned 42 yards for the touchdown uh, in the third quarter, immediately I started getting emails and direct messages from people saying, okay, yeah, see, I told you, that's why you couldn't say that, you know, this is a different Dak. Look at this. He's the same old Dak. He can't win in big moments. He turns it over. Uh, you watch. Now, they were quiet the rest of the game, but and they may be quiet against Buffalo if they win, but in Miami, if they lose, he's going to, you know, these people will pop up and say something. So that, that's the position Dak and the Cowboys find themselves that, okay, all of these regular season moments are nice, yeah you're very good but how is it going to translate? Does this give you any traction whatsoever in the postseason until this fan base who hasn't seen it in 27 years the scar tissue is built up so much they're not going to believe it until they see it and that scar tissue is broken
1: which <laughs> well, gets back to the 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 enduring subject of our podcast since the day it was born how far are the cowboys gonna go <laughs> yeah
2: yeah exactly. <laughs> Well, here's the The eternal question. It's always there and never can be answered.
0: The the issue for me with the Cowboys going forward is that uh, we have said all along the team has to be Dak friendly. I I don't believe he's the kind of quarterback who can lift the team all by himself. Now, he may be growing into that now at this late date, and that just seems a little odd to think that's going to happen. He did not play particularly well, as he said, after uh, after the game uh, Sunday night. And yet they still won by 20 points. Uh, I think the difference on this team is that there are more playmakers everywhere. Uh, There are more playmakers on defense. You know, you look at what Stephon Gilmore did in that game. Certainly more on
2: defense, right? Yes. And, And we don't talk about that enough. When we talk about playmakers, people tend to focus on the offensive side of the ball. Look at the playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. And as I mentioned earlier, look at Brandon Aubrey. A sixty-yard right. field goal and a fifty-nine-yard field goal. How many teams feel confident doing that? Yeah, that's right. And they and, and so you, you know everybody's you know
0: steps up. I don't know why the Eagles didn't pick on Duron Bland uh, like the Seahawks did the week before, but they didn't. They they didn't throw to his side of the field. They kept throwing to Gilmore's side, and Gilmore kept stuffing people. You know, he's he, he's uh, he's he's not the player he was when he was the defensive player of the year in 2019, but he's still a really good cornerback. And apparently, according to the players, you talk to them, uh, Jaron Ron Kerr said after the game, you know, Micah Parsons said after the game, w- what an impact that Gilmore has made, how, how much he's helped the guys in the secondary, how much he's helped guys in general. They, th- they talk about what a great person he is and what a great, you know, uh, what a great football mind he is. Uh, these are the kind of things that the Cowboys have done is that they have now, I've got players everywhere that you're, you're not relying on somebody having a, a, an outstanding game all of a sudden out of the blue. Now, you are getting guys, and you have guys in place who that's kind of what you expect of them is to do that, is to play that way. And when you, the more players you have like that, that you can expect to play well, just like the Rangers going to the World Series this year. They had too many guys in the lineup that, all right, how do you stop this many? You know, they're, they're, yes, we may get to this guy and this guy and stop this guy, but we can't stop all five or six of these outstanding offensive players. And I think it's a little bit of the same thing now with the Cowboys. They just have so many weapons. We've always talked about that on offense. They've had that, and it's been a little bit hit or miss, but they haven't had that on defense. And I think that is, for me, the big difference. Now, the, the thing is, in the end, it's just what we talked about, if they can't play at home where they are re- truly dominant, uh, and that is another issue that has developed over the years. Remember the times when we talked about it, in Jerry World, where they weren't they they were a five hundred team for years uh, at home, uh, and now all of a sudden they are. So they've built that up. If they weren't able to get that, that would be that could be a backbreaker for them because they're not great on the road and they haven't been this year. And we'll see what they do with that. They were
1: what three, three and three on the road, three and three, right, David?
0: I think that's correct.
2: Yeah, you four, think, and four think, and three. Yeah, yeah, three and three. Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 math I
1: did. There were plus plus seventeen on the road in terms uh-huh. of uh, point differential. But you Sorry, look at Kevin. what's happened
0: to, to to David's point earlier. Look what happened last night in these games. Look look at the the Giants beating the Packers. Uh, you know the Dolphins lost. You know uh, Tennessee beating well. number
2: one seed Miami. You're, yeah. we're going to see more of that uh you know in, in these final 4 weeks it it happens every single year now the teams that are still the best ones are going to be there but look look does any team in the league have a better record right now than 10 and 3 no that's the yeah. best record in the league and Dallas is one of those teams there are four teams now at 10 and 3 in the entire NFL so you don't have that separation like you do most years usually by this time you know there's a team out there with maybe two wins and everyone else is around four I mean two losses and everyone else is around four there's no separation there are four teams and they're all you can make an argument for any one of them being the best one or any one of the four being the worst of them you know
1: and i yeah. mean to your point again one of those 4-10 and 3 teams is not going to end up with home field in the first in yeah. the first two games and yeah.
2: And if that's, that's Dallas, good. they're going to have to win on the road in Philly and San Francisco to get to the Super Bowl. It's and how different. many even good teams would be able to do that?
0: Right. Yeah, this is going to be a difficult road for the Cowboys just because of that. Uh, this is what losing to Arizona does for you. Um, yeah. And uh, and so we'll we'll see how they can pull that. Out. I will say, you know, all the bugaboos that we've always talked about over the years with the Cowboys. Remember when Tony Romo was a quarterback, it was December
2: and how, how poorly the Cowboys played in December. Well, and now they-, they played very well in December under Mike McCarthy and, and got the home field. They're they're making progress under this coaching staff that they haven't in a long time, but everyone's going to remain skeptical until they see this team get past the divisional round of the postseason, which it has not been in 27 years. Well, absolutely, especially after last year when they beat Tampa Bay.
0: And I was all in on him at that point. I thought, well, here we go. Uh, Dak Dax played a great game in that game. And then they come right back out the next week and boom. And he
2: plays one of his worst
0: postseason games eight days later. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for the Cowboys segment of our podcast. We're going to move over there now and talk about the Rangers. The Rangers' big move. They went out and brought back a guy who set a record uh, as a reliever. And it, it is so tremendous that they, they were able to do that, Evan. Jesus Tinoco, who set the record for home runs in a season. Well, he, he he set up the record for home runs in a season when he threw that uh, gopher ball to... Uh,
1: Maybe you'd like Aaron to... Uh, you want to try that set up again, Kevin? No? You didn't like that? I, yeah, I, I don't think he set a record. He was part of a record-setting moment. Well, there we go. He's, his name's going to be in the record book, though. It'll say they're right there. That's right. He'll be right there. Yeah, Jesus really that wasn't quite the biggest move. The biggest move was signing Kirby Yates um, who led the national league in saves in 2019 and has had some uh, health issues the last couple of years, but it's, it's an upside play and it's the kind of play that the Rangers are going to make this off season. You know, it's uh, it was a four and a half million dollar deal, one year contract chance for a guy who could pitch in the back end and pay, play big dividends. Tinoco is a guy who could give you some depth in the bullpen um, and also does have some upside. That's that's where the Rangers are and what we have maintained really since this offseason started that this was not going to be a team that despite the national prognosticators saying was going to be in on Otani and Hayter and Jordan Montgomery, that wasn't where the Rangers' focus was going to be. They're just not planning to spend that kind of money this offseason. So... Um, Get used to that, I guess. I, I, I don't know what else to, to say on that. I, I think that you're going to see the same kind of, of scenario play out when it comes to a starting pitcher as well. You know, somebody like a Frankie Montas maybe, or uh, maybe even if you're looking for a little bit more stability, maybe like a Michael Waka. But you are you're not. they're not going to be in on Blake Snell. They're not going to be in on on Jordan Montgomery. This is a team that, that feels like it's spent the bulk of, of its uh, – of its big money over the last two years and is going to try and scale back just a little bit to start the season so that they don't begin the season already over the tax threshold.
0: You know, I'm less concerned really at this point, what the Rangers do. Uh, and they have made and the Kirby Yates move was a good one. I, I I, want to say that it's interesting to me that they pay Kirby Yates four and a half million and Will Smith got five million from the Royals. Uh, you know, will Smith great guy stand-up guy very popular in the clubhouse uh, but God bless him he only had one pitch uh I, I don't know if, if the Royals have film on Will Smith from this last year but if he's not throwing that slider he's he's completely ineffective so um, but it, but it's interesting to to watch what this happens now because we know what Chris young will do at the trade deadline right um, and, and I think, for me, that will be the more interesting thing when it happens with the Rangers. They, you know, they will get Jonathan Hernandez back. Jose LeClerc uh, is, was pitching much better at the end of the year than he was at the first of last year. Uh, so was Hernandez before he got hurt. Josh Spores was a much different player at the end of the year than he was at the beginning of the year. So I do feel, even as poorly as the bullpen pitched over the course of the year, at the end of the year, it wasn't bad. Uh and you would have to think that maybe some of these resources will come into play early on. But I want to see what Chris Young does at the trade deadline if they're short. If they're short in the in the rotation, if they're short in the bullpen. I I have some confidence in him that he can talk Ray Davis into spending a little money then, don't you think, Evan?
1: Oh, I I mean, I think look, I think the Rangers' philosophy right now is they want to go into the season. Under the 237 million dollar threshold, without a guarantee that they'd have to pay tax, that would still be a significant jump over where they started the 2022 season. Um, I think they started 2022 at about 195, maybe 200. So you'd be up about 30, 35 million dollars in terms of that. If you get to the deadline and you have holes, but you're a contender, I don't think Ray Davis is going to blink about adding payroll then that would push him over the threshold. First of all, the implications at that point in time are going to be lesser. Secondly, you probably wouldn't go over uh, the threshold to the point where you would uh, be not just a second time payor but in the second tier of taxes, which would then be a 60% tax on every dollar uh, over the overage. So I think that's their strategy with money right now. We're getting too much into dollars and cents a little bit, but, but that's where they're at. They, they, they feel like they've got a really good nucleus of a team that can come back and contend, and they'd rather take money and spend it at the deadline and go out and acquire guys when uh, they've had a little bit of time to figure out, if this bullpen group, and let's not forget the guys like Mike Church, like Mark Church um, and Antoine Kelly uh, from the minor leagues who could potentially play roles in the big leagues this year, let them go through, sort through all that and see what they've got in the bullpen. And, and as we've said on, on multiple occasions, it's never easy to fix a deficiency, but of all the deficiencies that you need to fix out there, fixing a bullpen is probably the easiest at the deadline.
0: Yeah. Oh, no question about that. Certainly a the bullpen. Uh, they, they didn't really go into that very much. They didn't do much to help it at the bullpen. Chris Stratton was, was okay. The big, the big fix was Jordan Montgomery, of course, and the difference he made uh, when they added him. And, and, you know, that was after adding Max Scherzer, who uh, that, that was the big splash. And then it turned out that Jordan Montgomery was the guy.
1: Well, but part of that, Kevin, was the was the hope that they could once they got Ivaldi back that they'd be able to move somebody like an Andrew Heaney um, or uh, even you know John Gray into a bullpen role. And how did that work out in the postseason? You know, so so that they didn't address the bullpen as directly as they would have liked to. I think they would have liked to have added another reliever at the deadline, which would have given them Chapman, Stratton, and then a third piece. Um, but the moves that they made in the starting rotation allowed them to have some extra depth in the, in the bullpen that really paid dividends in the postseason.
2: No
0: question about that, but I I don't think you could have thought at that point, even if you're moving gray and Heaney and everybody else in the bullpen Dunning, you know, which is what they did. And that certainly helped. Uh, And I I thought that that gray is still an underrated uh, segment of that. You know, he, he was tremendous when he pitched out of the bullpen uh, was the fact that Leclerc pitched so well uh, at the back end, and so did Spores. You know, those two guys at the end. If you'd have said in July, "Well, the last seven outs of the season will come from Josh Spores in in the in the deciding game of the World Series," people would have said you are crazy. Have, have, uh, I, have I told you the story?
1: That. Have I told you a story that on um, I think it was the fifth or the sixth of September, Spores came in and gave up a bunch of runs to Houston. Um, And I I basically tweeted as our old friend, Jerry Fraley, now Hall of Famer, the late Jerry Fraley, would have have tweeted, um, I think we've seen the last of Spores. So I tweeted that pretty much in in those words. I think I said, I don't think we'll see Josh Spores pitch again for the Rangers. Um, Never mentioned it again to Spores, of course, because I'm a coward. Um, And then uh, after the day of the World Series parade, Uh, He came up to me and he goes, um, he said something and he brought up something. He said, you know, hey, I want to talk to you about this. And I I said, what's that? And he said, remember when you said Josh Spores won't pitch for the Rangers again? I was like, oh, God, Josh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, well, it's all right. No problem. Just want you to know that that night I texted my wife after the game because she had sent me your tweet. And I said, well. I'm probably not going to be pitching again for the Rangers. so it, it is, and, and the point of all this is that, like, these things just turn on a dime. The Rangers knew all along that Josh Spores had really good stuff. and And, and when he was healthy, he could be really effective. And the pitches graded out really well. And I will tell you that over the last two years – the Tampa Bay Rays came calling over and over again saying, hey, if you want to get rid of Josh Spores, we'll take him off your hands. And if the Rays want one of your pitchers, probably the first thing you need to do is say, no, thank you. Let, no, let thank us you. figure out why. Um, but I, I, I said to Chris Young, I said to, to Bruce Bochi in, in private conversations, you know, at, at, their, at their darkest hours that. You've got guys with stuff, and that that applied to Hernandez, applied to Spores, applied to Leclerc, and they've all at different times shown the ability to be dominant. If those guys can ever mesh it together for five weeks, you're going to have a really good run. Now, I don't know if I believed what I was saying. I don't know if they believed it either. But what we saw in, in October was when you've got Spores and Leclerc pitching really well at the back end of the bullpen, they could be dominant, and they were
0: yeah, they were, and it makes you believe that uh, you know with Jonathan Hernandez, who who was it found it two before he got hurt again, uh, and frankly, most people thought that that uh, Hernandez had better stuff than Leclerc when he's healthy. Uh, I do think those three guys are probably good enough for the backing. You'd still like to have one more arm back there, uh, but I do think that's a pretty good place to start. I, I feel better about them than I do, frankly, the rotation going into the season just because. There are so many guys still hurt, and there's, it's still a little iffy because Montgomery did such a tremendous job uh, for them last year filling that hole. But we'll see what they do. I think I my biggest
1: con- my biggest concern about the rotation is how they're going to have to mon- Obviously, there's some older guys there, and there's some guys who have, with injury histories. But the Rangers are also going to have to monitor those guys early in the season because of that last month of work. Nathan already worked an awful lot of, of innings in the postseason, And I do think that that, that that is something the Rangers are going to have to watch closely. It won't surprise me if Evaldi and to some extent Dunning go into 2024 with having their innings managed out of the gate.
0: Pitch counts. Um, Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this unbelievable contract that uh, Shohei Otani got from the Los Angeles Dodgers. First of all, uh, it's no, it's no surprise that he went to the Dodgers. I I, I mean, I would have bet, you know, 90% or chance or more I, when, when people were saying that there's a possibility he might go back to the angels, it's like, are you really kidding me that he would go back to the angels? I mean, come on. That was just ridiculous at that point because we weren't getting a lot of, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of leaks involved and stuff wasn't happening. There weren't a lot of rumors going around. So people were just kind of, I don't want to say they were making stuff up, but they were just guessing. They were just
1: um, guessing wrong too. But that's another story.
0: Well, that is another story. Uh, but the but the seven ten years, seven hundred million dollars, a an unbelievable contract. Uh, and and I will say this, and I know you're going to talk about the ins and outs of that contract, which we have just found out are really amazing. And in, in the fact that he will only cost the the Dodgers two million a year until, with all that money deferred. Uh, so it, it, it is really a fascinating contract and how they're going to able to work around that a little bit. As it turns out, I didn't realize they had done the same thing, uh, with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. Uh, well, not but, to
1: this extent, but yes, they, there's significant extent, deferred well, money in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, when you've got a $700 million deal, which is 200 million more than anybody else. Uh, so the, the issue, uh, first of all, I want to say this only the Dodgers or the Yankees could do this. You know, well, maybe anybody could do it the way they're doing it right now, uh, deferring it down the road uh, like that. But from a from an organizational standpoint, taking the risk on Shohei Otani, as great as he is, and and I I hate to say that he's a better player than Babe Ruth was, but uh, maybe that's so because he's pitching so late into his career, and, and Babe Ruth did not do that on a consistent basis. The problem for me is that if he gets hurt pitching. Which pitchers just get hurt? Then he's hurt as a hitter, so he wipes out both of the things that he does so well. And 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 next year, if they're just gonna, he's just gonna be a DH. Can you pay that much money to a guy who's just a DH? Uh, You don't you need to be getting value in the field some way? And and you know, I do believe if he were to play in the outfield, if he were playing first base, he's a great athlete. uh, I think he could be a significant contributor on defense. Um, to me, if you're a a market like Texas, which is a good market, but certainly not what the Dodgers have and certainly not what the Yankees have, you just simply can't afford to take that kind of risk that, that you're going to put this much into one player. It is a little bit like the, the A-Rod thing from the standpoint that the, that the Rangers invested so much in him, but then not on anybody else because Tom Hicks just couldn't do it after that point um I, I do feel like that everybody else it took them out of the mix it was either, and I, and I don't think he was going to New York and so that's what made me think that that really only the dodgers were going to do this but it was ended up being about 200 million more than I thought
1: well I mean there there's so many layers to the sotani thing and listen let me just say that not that I, I pride myself on my prognostication but even when there were reports that he was on a plane going to Toronto I was like, The Dodgers are still signing this guy. He's signing with the Dodgers. As much as he wants to win, the only answer was the Dodgers. Uh, It it just made too much sense. Now, all of that said, um, I I think this contract works for the Dodgers and it works for Otani. Yes, there is a risk that um, a guy who does two different jobs, pitching and hitting, Uh, helps you when he's healthy because he saves you a roster space, but he doubly hurts you when he's hurt because it creates need for two roster positions. Um, But when you're only spending $2 million on him right now uh, per year, which is what the Dodgers are spending, it doesn't preclude you from going out and filling those holes with other really good players. Um, You're
2: not ravaging your roster in order to make this work. Correct. You can still enhance your roster with whatever comes down that you need to address,
1: without ravaging your roster and without you know jacking up your your payroll abilities to the point where you're paying ninety percent uh, surcharge on your on your um, on your payroll, uh, the value of this contract, based on all the calculators that I've seen, the present day value with $68 million deferred per year, comes to $46 million a year in present-day value, which is basically where we thought that Otani would end up. We thought he'd end up between $450 million to $500 million for this contract. So ultimately, that's about what he's getting. Um, Doesn't need it. He's probably going to make $40 million in endorsements so he can just take this sixty eight million dollar annuity down the road and pocket it. And there are some other elements that I'm sure the agency, CAA, went through and, and realized that look, if if he was making $70 million this year, or $60 million or $50 million, the jock tax is the so-called jock tax that players pay in a number of municipalities and states for games played there, even as a visiting player. Um, the levies on him would be significant and would also drive down the value of the contract. If he gets this money after he stopped playing, he's not paying that tax anymore. And so uh, it, it all kind of balances out. You know, th- this is, this is something that players go through. Ranger players, probably now that they play in, I think 18, 18, 20 different cities over the course of the year, they get tax slips from municipalities and states. Not every state has this um, and not every municipality does, but they all get about 20 different tax uh, levies for the number of games that they play there. And it comes out to a significant bill. So this was another workaround for Otani to get, to maximize the money and for the Dodgers to minimize uh, their commitment. And, yeah, Kevin, to your point, it just, again, adds up that there was no destination for him other than the Dodgers. He wasn't going to uproot and, and move off the West Coast where he is. Um, he wanted to go to a team that wins. What team has won more other than the World Series than the Dodgers over the last decade? Um, what team has more resources than the Dodgers? Uh, so it all just it all just fit. It all just made the most sense in the world.
0: I think that the best news for the Rangers is he's in the National League. Oh,
1: you know? for sure, uh, that, that, that's a, that is without a doubt, and, and yes, it, it, it without a doubt the, the and and I think also it makes it that much more clear. I honestly think that you know you could make you could make this argument two ways. You could say that well the Dodgers now they're going to go they're, since they're all in they can certainly afford to bring Clayton Kershaw back if they want. Look, I think this is basically Shohei Otani's team now, and I think that there there's a lot of reason why Kershaw rehabbing here in Dallas and then signing with the Rangers would make a lot more sense. Um, so I, I, I think that it puts Kershaw more likely in the Rangers camp for, for his post-surgical return. Um and so I, I don't think it impacts the Rangers in any negative way, except if they play the Dodgers at some point in the World Series, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough task.
0: Well, it is going to be a tough task. All right, we got to get out of
1: this baseball stuff. We got to talk about some uh,
0: college football. Uh, since we did our last podcast, the Texas Longhorns, uh, after much controversy over the Final Four picks, which were to me so predictable that I predicted them. Uh, and and they're in. They're going to be playing Washington in the uh, semifinals in New Orleans on New Year's Day. Uh, I think that Texas is playing really uh, well at this point. I think if, if Quinn Ewers plays like he did uh, in the, the last couple of games and like he has in big games like he did against Alabama both uh, last year when he got hurt after the first quarter, Uh, And then, of course, in Tuscaloosa this year and what Steve Sarkeesian kept telling everybody was the biggest win that anybody had over the course of the season. And I think that was probably true uh, during the regular season. Uh, Then I think that uh, the Texas has a legitimate chance to win it all. Uh, I think they're they're good enough. They have two players. uh that made the all-american teams one of them bondary sweat uh their 364 pound defensive tackle and, and his uh line mate there brian murphy made i believe the second or third team uh and i think that that is a difference maker for texas they can stop the run uh they can do what they they can play with the big boys uh in the sec from that standpoint it's just a question of how well Quinn Ewers plays uh, to me. So did anybody have a problem with Florida State getting left out? Yes and no.
1: Um, yes and no. What, what, was your, what was your yes? Pick one. Yeah. Well, my yes is, is, is the enduring issue of the CFP, and that has been that you have five power conferences and only four only four spots to until next year. And so every year a worthy conference champion was on the verge of being left out. Um, it always never added up to me why you would have five conference champions or five conferences and or five power conferences and four spots. Um, and so they got burned. They could have easily, easily written in to the bylaws for the CFP, Earlier on, if a team goes undefeated and wins its conference championship, it will get an automatic bid. They did not.
0: Yeah, you could have done it. I don't know why you would have done it. To, to me, here, here is the issue.
1: Because we still uh, debate this, Kevin, right? We debate. It, it comes back, and I know what you're going to say. We still debate deserving slash resume versus best chance to win the, the two playoff games.
0: Yeah, and That's I, I, why I
1: didn't have a problem with FSU being left out because I didn't think they had the chance to beat these teams.
0: No, I don't think so either. You only had to watch them play the last couple of weeks. You know, the the, the point was brought up that, well, you can't uh, rule them out because they're down to their second or third string quarterback because look what Ohio State did. I believe that was in 2014 when uh, Cardale Jones was their third string quarterback and they won the national championship. And I would say to that, the difference was that that year Ohio state won the big 12, the big 10 title game 59 to nothing with Cardell Jones as their quarterback over Wisconsin, 59 to nothing. That kind of told you that this is a pretty good team, even with its third string quarterback uh, who left and was drafted uh, by the way. So to, to me, that was a bogus argument to say that, you know, The problem for me with the the CFP uh, is the same thing that that happened to SMU, right? So SMU gets left out of the New Year's Six-Day Bowls because Liberty got in 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 front of them. Liberty got in on the basis of its undefeated season, and that's what the committee said. Well, they just kept winning and winning and winning, and, you know, they, they piled up this many points and blah, 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 okay? The point. Of course, uh, SMU finished one spot behind them in their rankings. The, the point about SMU was, yeah, but, but Liberty didn't play any Power 5 teams. And SMU did and lost to TCU and Oklahoma. And either one of those was an embarrassing loss. Uh, and so how can you say that uh, we're going to take Texas and Alabama over an undefeated two, a one lo- loss, Alabama and Texas team, over an undefeated Florida State, when you use the exactly opposite for your picking uh, Liberty over SMU, you you can't have that both ways. And I I did not have a problem with the the Florida State pick because simply because to me, if we if we look at the five conferences, just like you said, Evan, uh, there's a big there's a for for me. Texas' one loss was to Oklahoma, three-point loss at a neutral site, a very good Oklahoma team at that time. Uh, Oklahoma was playing very well and and got a great performance from Dylan Gabriel. If he had not played so well, Texas would have won won that game. That's a three-point loss to a good Oklahoma team. What is the huge difference between that and an undefeated team in a league that wasn't very good this year? You know, the, the ACC wasn't very good. Clemson wasn't very good, you know. Uh, North Carolina wasn't that great you, you just you look at that championship game with Louisville uh, it was awful you know Louisville just looked terrible in that game uh, and, and i don't I don't know how you can make the argument that it's just like the the, the the Liberty and SMU argument I mean Liberty played a very poor schedule why wouldn't you roll it up against these teams? Uh, You know, the whole point is who you're going to play. Now, I know what the the other argument people say is that, all right, if you're only going to take teams that can win the national championship, then why don't you take three SEC teams every year? Well, they're not going to do that, right? There's there's a limit to that argument. You're going to say we're going to take one team from that league, uh, but we're not going to take more than one. So it it does feel a little bit like, well, you're not – you're not going to the ends of either one of these arguments, right? You're not taking the teams with the best records. We're taking the best teams, but we're not really taking the best teams because we don't want to take more than one sec team unless we have to, uh, you know, or we don't want to take more than one big 10 team unless we have to, we're only going to take one. So it does put the committee in a very precarious situation where it has to kind of, uh, uh, balance something here and you're simply not going to make everybody happy. It, but I will say this, what, what is a better or bigger argument now than the CFP? I mean, you know, it's like, it's like the old thing. No news is, you know, uh, or, or or bad news is good news. You know, people are talking about you. Uh, people are talking about college football. Uh, it's as big now as it's ever been. Uh, it's big It's far bigger than any time that I've uh, ever even covered college football.
2: And, and no system is yeah, and no system is ever going to completely resolve these discussions every year because of the scope of the sport. And, and Evan, to your point, is a great one. There are five power conferences. Well, all should get all should get a spot, right? You could write it in the the best one gets a bye, then the other four play, and then you go on. You could do that, but then you're going to to Kevin what you said every year. People go, well, wait a minute. We still know the top three teams in the SEC are better than these two teams in these other Power Five conferences that got in. Why don't you do that? And the difference is people, this argument will always exist in college football where it doesn't professionally. And very quickly, let's tie it to the NFL. You're probably going to have a team this year in the NFC South potentially has a losing record that will have a home playoff game. People accept that more. Why is it? Because there's a balanced schedule of competition every year. You know there are two division opponents every year. You know you have these conference games. You know you have the out-of-conference games. And because of the unbalanced schedule and different approaches that every college franchise takes to scheduling, you will never come close to having that in college football. So on some level, these discussions, no matter what the system, are always going to exist. Well, I
1: think the other difference, obviously, is that one is there's a statistical-based criterion in the NFL, right? There is, a, there is a benchmark and a criteria for what qualifies you as a playoff team. The CFP from 1 through 25, not just the playoff, to Kevin's point about SMU and always the group of five that we, we run into with this every year, is that you are with the CFP You're basically, it's not a criteria. It's subjecting it to human, um, to human desires and human definitions of best. And agendas
2: And and questioning motives and all of this. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've got my hall of fame ballot right here that I'm going to, you know, start debating on over the next 10 days. And that is, it's the same thing. There is always somebody that, even though I usually vote for the maximum number of guys, There is always somebody that is left off who, you know, can make a deserving case. And so as long as you have that human element, you're going to have this great argument. And that's why the baseball hall of fame gets talked about so much. It's why the CFP gets talked about so much because you create for yourself all these arguments. Um, And maybe it's a, maybe it's, Maybe it's an intentional marketing tool. Maybe maybe that's why they do it, to create this. But we this run into this, sure. you run into the same thing here year after year, deserving versus best. And I, I'd still hold up. Look, based on everything I saw, you know, uh, after Georgia lost Alabama, I knew they were out, but you'd be hard-pressed to tell me that, Georgia, that that Georgia, based on what it's done the last two years and what it had done for the first 12 games of the season, it's not one of the four best, one of the four teams with the best chance to win uh, a, a, a national championship, but it is. Well,
0: there's no question to me that Georgia is a better team than than probably three other teams that are that are going to the, to the uh, uh, CFP. So that that's the issue. I had more, you know, I felt worse for Georgia players and fans than I did for Florida State. I just don't think that Florida State was that good. I didn't think they were that good before they played Louisville in the ACC championship game. I thought there was a good chance that that team could get bounced uh, out of what happened
1: here. The one problem I had with all of that was I don't think the committee needed to come out and basically – I think the committee tried to take it off themselves and lay it at the feet of, of Florida State's quarterback situation. If you decided not to pick them because you don't think they're good, fine. But don't say, well, you would have been good enough if your quarterback was healthy. Um that I thought was a was a real mistake in how they in how they presented their argument. Well, the problem was
0: going to, yeah the next to the last ranking they moved them up from fifth to fourth. That was the problem. You if you really felt that they were not going to be good enough, you cannot move them up into the top four. You're setting yourself up for this criticism. I felt like they were not. It's exactly what happened to TCU when they moved them up to third. They win by 50 points in their last uh, regular season game, and then they dropped them to sixth. You can't you can't do that. You can't drop a team three spots after they win a game by fifty points. And so it was a little bit of this the same thing they did to Florida State. Now look, next year we'll have a, a 12 team playoff, and, the, and this will a lot of these things will be rectified by that, and there will be uh a, it's a different situation altogether. Um there are there are, are a lot of things involved in all of this that go way beyond uh what just a team getting left out and know a bad thing there's a lot of financial stuff involved in all this right there's a lot of money involved if you make those at final four uh and for all kinds of different reasons do you think uh, money really fun.
2: enters into this
0: yeah <laughs> yes i do think money into this mr sarcastic oh, okay. uh so yeah it, it's uh i don't think there's any question our old pal tim Kalashaw, you know, he was always against, he was against the four teams he thought there should just be two. This is how this is how stupid Tim Callishaw is i want that on record
2: right now <laughs> <laughs> that, that I think we all know it. but it's good, it's good to tell a wider audience as well yeah. but you got
0: you you had to you had to increase this now i think 12 teams uh, you know they'll probably end up going past that at some point i think that's foolish 12 teams is plenty uh if you if you can't narrow it down from 12 teams to find yourself a, a, a champion well then then you know god love you but Uh, I I do think that next year it'll all be it'll be better it won't do Florida State any good I'm sorry that they had this undefeated season they didn't win at all you know SMU you can feel bad
1: you can feel bad for the Florida State players you can completely feel bad for the Florida State players and their fans but still think at the end of the day they're not one of the four best teams.
0: No, they're not. Uh, And uh, I I don't think that, but, you know, people were making the argument that TCU ruined this for everybody because they got into the playoff last year and then just got hammered by Georgia. But I will say this, they beat Michigan. They they destroyed that argument by the fact that they beat Michigan. Not
1: people. Stephen A. Smith made that argument. That's the only person that I've seen made that argument. And it's a ridiculous argument because they beat Michigan. They beat Michigan.
0: Of the fact that they beat Michigan, that, that makes that all okay. Uh, the fact that they lost 65-7 to 7 to Georgia was, was not so good. I don't think that they, that TCU fan feel, feel so great about the fact that they made the national championship game and ended it like that. I wouldn't need it, but anyway, it's. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, podcast this week. We thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week to talk more about uh, where the Cowboys are, uh, to talk, see if the Rangers have done anything, and see if anything else crazy has happened in college football. So from everybody in here and everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.